1: Hello, I'm Crystal and you're listening to the Kick It Out cast, the official podcast of Kick It Out. Tackling racism and discrimination in football for 25 years.
4: To mark the 25th anniversary of Kick It Out. We asked some football people to share with us their favourite memory or moment of the last quarter of a century with specific regard to the drive towards equality in the game. Here's what they said.
5: I'm Herman Oosley and I'm the chair of Kick It Out. It's come really late in the 25 years, but listening to the rapturous responses that people from all backgrounds gave to celebrate the life of Cyril Regis told me something about where society had moved because I don't think even 10 years ago people would have necessarily responded in such a magnificent way from all parts of different stadiums because it wasn't at one stadium it happened. It happened at Wembley, it happened at West Brom it happened at Coventry Uh, and I think that tells us something about where football has come that, that the nastiness that existed in 1993 is not around now even though there is still nastiness in society. Mm. Certainly not to the extent where a whole stadium, 60,000, 40,000, 80,000, will put their hands together and say, that guy was great. And it takes me back also to one of the reasons why I got involved in Kick It Out, which is a phenomenal moment, was watching Laurie Cunningham take on the racists with his feet and show them we got talent. You guys can boo all day. Mm. And Cyril was part of that generation. And so for me, that was a, a moment that said, we, we've come a long way. We still got a long way to go. And that meant so much.
0: Hello, I'm Sophie Cook, and I was the club photographer for AFC Bournemouth, and I'm an ambassador for Kick It Out. For me personally, I'm a lifelong Bournemouth fan. I was a club photographer for Bournemouth and, and we got promoted to the Premier League. And I mean, when you talk to football fans and they talk about the Premier League being the dream, for us the Premier League wasn't the dream. Our dream was to actually still have a football club the following season. Um, and to do that, to, to get promoted to the Premier League as Football League champions, at the moment that I came out as transgender and actually uh, was able to, to be authentic and be, be true to myself... And then to return to the Premier League, this this amazing promised land, um, as Sophie, uh, was, was something that I never thought was possible. Before I came out, I thought it was going to be the end of my career in football. Mm. And, I mean, uh, Match of the Day did a piece about me. And, and when, when Gabby Logan introduced it, she said, I've been a sports presenter for 20 years and I never thought I'd introduce a film like this. Mm. Um, so... I mean, it's a personal thing, but, but for me the fact that as a transgender woman I was embraced by, by the game, I was embraced by the fans especially. The fans were so supportive of me. Uh, for me that, that was a great step forward in, in fighting both the prejudice within the game and the prejudice without the game because so many people before I came out were scared of me going back to football, because they had this idea that football was really prejudiced. Mm. And I said, there, there are problems, but that's, that's not the problem. And, and it was really nice that, that we managed to make something positive out of it. The first time that I met Eddie as Sophie, um, first time that anyone at the club had ever met Sophie, I'm pretty sure it was the first time most of them had met a trans woman, mm. um, first thing was that I, I wasn't expecting to still have a job uh, and when, when it turned out I did uh, Eddie turned around to me and said what can I do to make this easier for you and the thing is when someone comes out they can't expect everyone to understand straight away but if your boss says what can I do to make this easier uh, that's all you can ask for and I said well I need to meet the players before a match day the first time they see me can't be as, as they run down the tunnel it's sort of they could be forgiven for being slightly shocked mm-hmm. um, so I went in for a training session and the boys were all off warming up and Eddie came up to me and he said, are you scared? And I said, you know what, for the first time in my life I'm totally at ease with who I am, so no I'm not. And they, they called all the players together and Jason Tindall, our assistant manager, uh, spoke to the players and he said, I suppose you notice know, our photographer's changed a bit since last season, growing her hair out, I'd like you all to meet Sophie. And then our captain Tommy Elphick just started clapping and the rest of the players joined in. And then Tommy said, right, let's go and train. And I'm stood there, I'm like, "What's that it? i built this up in my head so much. I was expecting rainbows and unicorns, and maybe a fly pass by the Red Arrows. But, but the reality was, here's a new piece of information. We've got it, now let's move on.
3: Manisha Taylor, academy coach at QPR. 25 years ago, when, when, when I was growing up, There was a a real lack of females playing football, a real lack of um, Asian females uh, in the game, whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch. So it's not something that you would ever have thought that it would be a job for instance, uh, perhaps a hobby. But even then, I mean, when I was playing with my brother, for, for my mum, it was always very much playing school. Why? Because of the education attached to school. However, when with my best friend Jenna, at the age of nine, I, actually, I got into Barnet, um, my mum said, it's, that's great. However, there isn't anybody to take you to training on a weekend. So all of a sudden, that now becomes very different because of the stigma Attached to those who are of um, Asian heritage, and then particularly being female. And this is, um, you know, this was in in the eighties and the nineties. What's great now, though, is that within this twenty five years, things have evolved. And although there is still an imbalance and there are still inequalities, particularly in the professional game, I do feel that there's been significant change. And that, for me, has to come from board level and it has to come from those decision makers who allow people like myself an opportunity and access to those opportunities which we you know rightfully deserve
0: hello i'm mamoon and you are listening to the kick it out cast the official podcast of kick it out tackling racism and discrimination in football for 25 years
6: I'm Miles and I'm the chief executive of the Football Supporters Federation. Well, one thing that stands out is I'd, I'd been involved in anti-racism campaigning around football right from the 1980s in Newcastle. Um, but I remember one real turning point was when Newcastle signed Andy Cole. He wasn't the first black player we had. I remember we had uh, Tony Cunningham before then and there, there may have even been one or two others. But Andy Cole was absolute quality. And that was the turn when you felt it really grabbed, grabbed the mass of fans that they had a black idol. Not just somebody making up the numbers, but the number one star on the team, the goal getter, in that promotion season in particular, Andy Cole, to have all those jewellies for the first time with a black superstar hero really was a massive turning point. And then you hardly heard a racist sentiment anywhere after that because they, everybody had a reference point. The fact that he was a black goal scorer, it was just, he was the goal scorer, and that was a, a, you know, a real, you know, in the history of Newcastle United, at least, which is a, a fairly small microcosm of football as a whole, but it was a proper turning point for me in the 90s.
1: My name is Rodney Hines, sports editor of The Voice newspaper. I'm going to stay with a man that I've interviewed countless times in my near 20 years as voice of sport editor, Chris Hutton. Um to bring an unfashionable football club uh, into the top flight. And the top flight isn't when Wenger and Ferguson were battling it out. It was just those two teams. Either United would win it or Arsenal win it. You now have a top flight where it's dog eat dog. Um, and here's Chris Hutton, a very good coach, by the way. Forget the colour of his skin. He's a very, very good coach. Has brought an unfashionable club up who have had their own challenges in terms of where they played their football. He's brought them up to the division and he's kept them up. Um, And I think, knowing Chris as I do, a very humble human being and a very good coach, that, for me, kick it out and all the other campaigns that we recognise and respect, him doing that with an unfashionable club, not with an Arsenal or a Chelsea who have got loads of money and, and, and tradition... Is a watershed moment, it's a seminal moment which gives hope to the Darrymores and all the aspiring black coaches, no matter what their gender is. So, to bring them up, to keep them up, it's a fantastic achievement. And as I said, what that does, I think that allows other chief executives, and we have to respect Tony Bloom at Brighton, not only for employing Chris as his senior men's coach, but Hope Powell as well. You know, so Brighton as a football club have really impressed me. They've gone in with two really good coaches, Hope Powell, former England manager, and Chris uh, Houghton, and they've been rewarded. And I just like to think, hope above hope, pardon the pun, that other chief executives, other boards say, you know what, even in private, these black coaches can perform, can't they? But what they need, if they're listening, is opportunity. Hi, I'm Greg Clark, I'm the chairman of the FA.
7: I think the thing that struck me most, uh, and had the deepest impact on me, was the election of President Obama, when I thought, wow, if we can't have the leader of the free world uh, as a role model, a black guy who's actually running the world's largest country, leading foreign initiatives, charting the global future. If we can't look at that and take inspiration from that, what that, what do we want? I think, sadly, with no disrespect to that, I don't think it was the real step forward for society that it could have been. I had hoped that a lot more people would have recognized the benefits of diverse leadership. And there's a lot of academic work done that diverse organizations perform better. The uh, Fortune 100, which is the top 100 companies in the USA, the more diverse their boards, the better their returns for shareholders. Diverse football teams, diverse management teams, diverse societies are better. There was a famous um, uh, demographer called Richard Florida, who did a lot of work on the diversity of cities. The more diverse those cities are, the more economically successful they are. So I think diversity is a wonderful thing. It's to be celebrated, it's to be encouraged, it's to be nurtured and we should never lose that as one of our priorities.
4: Chris Ramsey, Technical Director of Queen's Park Rangers. From my personal point of view, being the first black England male manager of any team was a massive um, impact on me that was back in 1999 when we took the under 20s to the world cup in nigeria uh, i think that um the fact that, that the fa at that time went with that story mm-hmm. i think was something that um probably um I wouldn't say open doors for others but it, it 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 meant that there was the seal was broken at that stage and, and we had hope powell who who is that my hero really you know um, she was actually the first black coach ever of, of, of any team, uh, English team and uh, together we worked at that time and I think her friendship, at, you know, when, when we were at the FA during the late 90s, early uh, uh, 2000s, you know, you know, helped me a lot to get through
8: the whole institution.
9: Uh, Lindsay Edwards, Head of Participation and Development at Middlesex FA.
8: Shafiq Kavani, Head of Inclusion Advisory Group at Middlesex FA.
9: Probably going to come from a non-football background, so I previously worked in basketball. Um, and it's not really around race in basketball, it was more around gender equality. And I really, really struggled with sexism in the, in the workplace. So, when I moved into football, seeing the commitment to to women and girls in football has been absolutely fantastic. Um, But I now want to get to a point where we don't need equality policies or no offensive inclusion advisory groups. That whether you're male, female, black, white, disabled, able-bodied, everyone is given the same opportunities and provided with the same treatment.
8: I think uh, a recent thing that uh, really struck me was my my friends are good uh, Liverpool supporters, and they give the example of um, the post Mo Salah. Um, attendance on the on the football ground effectively where a few years ago when they went to the football ground and they wanted to pray people were actually uh, having a go at them and recently they were now cheering when they were praying at the at the stadium so I think that's a massive shift in attitude behavior and and uh, the way people are looking at things so that's the most recent thing I can think of
10: i Chris Poweros, co-chair of the Proud Lily Whites, the official Tottenham Hotspur LGBT Supporters Association. I've been a Spurs fan all my life, and I love football. I love the, the feeling you get when you walk out and you see the grass for the first time and, and you feel that collective euphoria and collective hope, and I love it. Um, in my late teens, early 20s, when I first um, came out, I... Fell out of love with football very temporarily because there was something in me that felt that I couldn't reconcile my sexual orientation and my love of football because the two didn't seem to, they didn't seem to align. Um, However, I'd always told myself as a kid um, that when I grew up, the first thing I was going to do when I got a job was get a season ticket. So I did, and it was sitting in my seat at White Hart Lane for. You know, nearly 20 years, well, more than 20 years before they knocked it down, where it did really become my home. Um, and so there was never a question of me coming out there because I just was. Um, and there was never an issue. And so when the sort of the LGBT, you know, I got, got, we got the idea of setting up an LGBT supporters group for Tottenham fans. And it was something that the club were really, um, Behind and wanted to support us. And for me, that was an amazing thing. It was like, you know, here's this football club that I've loved since I was a small child. You know, one of my earliest football memories is, you know, being allowed to stay up late to watch the 1984 UEFA Cup final and running around the living room when Tony Parks saved that final penalty. And and then to be inside um, the club on that very first meeting talking about how we were going to create a supporters club for LGBT fans was phenomenal. But the big thing for me, I think, was, you know, um, at White Hart Lane, our flag, which is a Tottenham cockerel with a rainbow, um, what took pride of place in the north-west corner, above, basically above the corner flag. So wherever you... If you watched a game, whether it was on a, a satellite and you were in America or you were watching Match of the Day, you could see that Tottenham was a place that was... Um, inclusive and supportive and welcoming of its LGBT community whether that's a fan whether that's as a fan um, staff in the club staff in the in the stadium the opposing fans etc and that's a massive moment of, of equality in football for me and something I wouldn't have dreamt of in the early 90s What well, in the 90s when I came out in the late 90s when I bought my season ticket even at the beginning of this century you know and that was in 2014 we first put that flag up and you know that was a great symbol for me of like how far we've come in football
0: hi i'm tejon hutton grassroots manager at kick it out and you're listening to the kick it out cast kick it out campaigning for equality in football for 25 years
5: i'm herman oosley and i'm the chair of kick it out if you don't need kick it out you've done it Mm. Uh, and we shouldn't need kick it out in 25 years time uh, we shouldn't need Kick It Out now, but we do. Okay. That's the sad fact of life. M- what would really excite me is not just to say, well, see the death of Kick It Out because we've solved the problem. The problem is 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 continuously having to be tackled. Complacency is the worst enemy yeah. of anyone trying to bring about institutional change, particularly when you're trying to tackle the isms of associated with prejudice, yeah, racism, yeah. sexism, homophobia, yeah. all those things. And... I therefore want to see more BAME people in the boardrooms, in in administration, in managing and coaching players, uh, and right across the spectrum of football, so that it becomes truly inclusive. Uh, and providing you've got the the quality of leadership with the content of knowing that they want to do this because it's the right thing to do, it brings the benefit mm. to football, it brings benefit to society and therefore we're going to do it, then that, for me, is the achievement that we're all aspiring for.
0: Hello, I'm Sophie Cook, and I was the club photographer for AFC Bournemouth, and I'm an ambassador for Kick It Out. At some point in the future, we will have a gay player coming out And uh, I personally believe, from from my own experience of of the way I was treated, obviously a gay player coming out is going to get abuse because all players get abuse Mm, mm. uh, from the opposition fans, from their own fans if Mm. they're not performing. Um, But I think that they'll also experience a lot of love. I mean, my dream in 25 years' time is that, that we don't need kick it out, that we don't need any of... I mean, the whole point of being an equality campaigner is that eventually... You're going to do yourself out of a job, yeah, yeah. Um, So I'd, in 25 years' time, I'd like to live in a world where no one ever has to come out. No, no one even notices the color of someone's skin, and, and no, no one cares about what religion people are. Mm. I, I think over the next 25 years, that's the change that I want to see. I want, I want a, world, a world that's colorblind, that's genderblind, that's sexuality blind and religion blind. I, I, want, I want that world where people are just people. And, and I mean, w- one of the big things that I always say to people is you don't need reams and reams of rules about equality and diversity. You just need two words. And those two words are respect everyone. If everyone goes through their life respecting everyone they meet, then very soon the world becomes a better place. Manisha Taylor, Academy Coach at QPR.
3: I think what would be progress would be to see uh, the um, the inequalities readdressed, particularly in the professional game. I would like to be able to see more females like me in academies uh, working across, you know, foundation phase, YDP, and also within some of the England uh, women's teams. I think that it's really important that, you know, as women, that we continue to support women's football, I think it's fantastic now that you know it's it's broadcasted on BBC. Um, I think there's a lot of work being done, you know, with BT Sport and BBC around, um, and Sky Sports, who who have all been very supportive of women's football. But I think a real breakthrough would be to see a lot more um, diversity represented amongst coaching staff uh, within the England setup, and as a woman particularly around the England women's and the girls' teams and in the professional game.
0: Hello, I'm Mamoon and you are listening to the Kick It Out cast, the official podcast of Kick It Out, tackling racism and discrimination in football for 25 years. Kevin Miles and I'm
6: the Chief Executive of the Football Supporters Federation. I think the one thing I would really aspire to is to be able to look around the football ground everywhere you go, up and down the country, up and down the pyramid, and be able to see a crowd... That accurately reflects the communities and the cities and the towns that the football ground is in. I mean, we do a lot of work with the Fans for Diversity campaign, championing the idea of that football's for everybody, encouraging support from communities that have been underrepresented in the game up to now. But I'd love to get a situation where. You, you know, in Newcastle, you've got a, a football ground in the city centre. You've got a city centre which has got a vibrant mixture of communities, a really diverse community starting to develop on Tyneside now. And I'm looking forward to the day where that is exactly mirrored on the terraces and the stands of St James's Park. My name is Rodney
1: Hines, sports editor of the Voice newspaper. Could a black man or woman, the world we live in today? Not because they're black, but they're truly qualified. Could they manage the England team? I think Kick It Out might need to mark another 50 years, <laughs> maybe 25 as a minimum, to see that mark. Because I think that um, there is, to some degree in football, I still think there's an old boys' network. And I think the England setup uh probably indicates that more so than anything else i think in the premier league we're seeing changes um, and they're good to see but i think the biggest barrier is that international setup could we have a black person in charge of the england national team
2: my name is Piara power i'm the executive director of the fair network i think it's about entrenchment and making sure and, and more mainstreaming really making sure that The diversity of all kinds is entrenched in the official bodies that run football, uh, making sure that some of the decision makers that we have are from those minority communities, and and that's not just because, for the sake of it, it's because we we need to see decisions being made in a different way. Mm -hmm. We need to see uh, people, communities being represented in a different way. Mm. And I think, it, I think it means a lot, because people, sometimes people say to me, well, why football? You know, why not the banking sector? Or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. you know, why, why not uh, uh, the, you know, sort of the, the makeup of, of councillors across the country? Because football is very symbolic. It has an importance. It has a social change dynamic, mm. which many of those things don't have. Uh, so I, that's why we,
7: we look for that. And that's why when we see that, it will be quite important. Hi, I'm Greg Clark, I'm the chairman of the FA. I'm a great believer in working on the things you can have some influence over. And one of the problems with trying to come up with a huge strategy to transform football is we'll take five years in a working party and then five years to do a pilot and five years from now we might start making some progress. I've challenged our board and our senior management team to turn the FA into a beacon of inclusion to adopt targets to get there, to publish those targets, to be, achi- to be accountable for achieving those targets. And then the rest of football can look at itself and say, if the FA can do it, why can't we do it too? So I don't want to spend weeks in committee rooms trying to convince the rest of football. I want to work with our board, our senior management team, to change the FA so people can see it as an example of how it can be done and the benefits that come from achieving it.
4: Chris Ramsey, technical director of Queen's Park Rangers. I think that we've got to get away from this visibility thing where people just want to see, you know, dark faces in and amongst the crowd. What we want is actually an opportunity to actually move forward. And people realize that that the excuses of what we had before were, you know, go and get your badges, make sure you're qualified. People have, people have heeded to that and done that. You know, you know, I was fortunate to be one of the first people to, to look at that. And the reason I did that was because I have got no profile, I had no profile. So I realized that being as qualified as you could meant that you could sit outside a door and you know you know you're going into that interview with all your all your ducks in a row, and I think that a lot of people have gone gone that route now. So that that route has now you know been been a well-worn path. So the visibility for me, I think, is, is is I wouldn't say it's an insult, but I think it's a little bit demeaning. I think what we need now we need an opportunity. We need people that that are not only you know that able to do the jobs. What we need is people to say, look. You know where there where there where there's equality as regards you know somebody who usually gets the job and there's either a minority. I think we have to look at if it's fifty fifty. Let's redress the balance. Let's redress the balance because we're doing it based on merit, you know. And I think that it's very very important that, that that people understand that. I don't think we should have any tokenism. If someone's not capable of doing the job, don't give them the job. But where there's where where we have an opportunity to redress the balance, that is where I think that that the biggest the biggest move forward will lie in in redressing the balance with merit, not
8: visibility and not tokenism.
9: Lindsay Edwards, Head of Participation and Development at Middlesex FA.
8: Shafiq Kavani, Head of Inclusion Advisory Group at Middlesex FA. I think being from an Asian background, there's been a lot of debate about Asian players in the higher leagues or the higher league systems, um, and I think something that would really be good in the next, let's say, 10 to 15 years if we would have an Asian player playing for England, and I think that would be a, a great achievement for, for us.
9: Yeah, I think that I'd like to see um, a black manager managing England, but also to see some uh, female coaches in, in the men's game as well. We, we see a lot of men coaching in the female game, rightly so, um, and we need to start to see the other way around as well. How
4: do we go about that then? So are we on the right lines? Is it something you can actually vision that you can see or do you think we're still so far away from that?
9: I think we're still really far away from that. I think that there's a massive confidence issue with women in in sport and football. Getting them from the playing side into the workforce, whether it's refereeing, coaching or even, you know, other professional jobs it is still massive. Um, so for them to then move into the men's game, it's still a long way away. But I think that we're starting to break down those barriers and we're seeing that in some of the pundits that are getting involved.
10: Uh, Chris Powers co-chair of the Proud Lily Whites, the official Tottenham Hotspur LGBT Support Association. For me, it's about not needing the flag in the next whatever. So I want to be in a situation where it's completely normalised for there to be um, LGBT fans, for there to be LGBT staff, for there to be, you know, for football to just be another place where you can be safe and welcome to be LGBT. And I use football in this context um, because it's important, because... You know, it's, it's the game, it's our national game and it's, you know, as children, it's how we learn to play, how to celebrate together, how we learn to work together and you know, it transforms communities. It's why, you know, the best football clubs have got fantastic foundations that they do work in because you understand the power that football has to do that. And, and football is working with LGBT communities now. I mean, the other thing I should mention is that Tottenham are, um, you know, in the throes of, of hiring an LGBT officer in the foundation, which I think is probably the first time a football club's done that, but understanding that the LGBT community are part of their communities. But I want to be in a place where we don't have to do that, you know, where we've done the work where we, where it's, it's normalised and there isn't that discrimination um, to face, where there isn't casual um, homophobia that and people don't really understand they're doing it. They're just like, well, that was just a joke, right? Um, that where, where, we've, where we've done that enough, where we don't need to have that flag up anymore.
0: Hi, I'm John Hutton, grassroots manager at Kick It Out and you're listening to the Kick It Out cast. Kick It Out, campaigning for equality in football for 25 years.